So if you are visiting, my name is Adrian Wright. I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor Church, and I get the privilege to, along with my wife and, uh, and our amazing team, to lead this church and uh, to pioneer something, you know. Uh, when we're carrying boxes and we're moving things around and we're stacking chairs and we're doing all the rest, we always say that we're just building the spirit of a pioneer. We're actually glad that church isn't always easy for us. Um, and even for you, having to kind of Google where to go to church this Sunday, uh, thank you for doing that, by the way, and, and finding it on Google Maps. Uh, we're glad that you're here. But, but when you pioneer something, I think about the pioneers that, that had to, with very kind of basic essentials, had to track and overcome great hardships and great obstacles in order to see something established. And today people live in areas and they live under certain laws and under certain things because of pioneers, because of people that, that were willing to fight the fight in order to produce freedom, in order to, to, to win the battle for those that would come after them. And, and that's really what we're about as a church. We want to we press on. We want to be a church that is, um, that is robust, a church that, that is willing to be in the fight, a church that is willing to fight for a city that that is willing to, to not give up. That's one thing I can tell you about us as a church. That's one thing I can tell you about me, and this is, I, I hope, what gave my team a lot of confidence when we started Anchor Church, is that I told them uh, when we were the first 16 people together in my living room, I said, this is one thing I promise you, I will not give up. I will not, even if it's five years from now and you're wheeling me out of a hospital and I'm broken and bruised and, and you know, limbs are falling off, it doesn't matter what I look like, I'm telling you now, I absolutely thoroughly believe in what God has called us to do in this city and we're not going to give up. So if we have to hang out in the park a couple of weeks or we have to get through obstacles or we have to sit through long meetings or whatever we need to do, we're here for a reason. Amen? Come on, we are here for, for a reason, and we believe in what God um, has, has called us to do, and, and, uh, and so we're, we're going to just keep walking in that. We're just going to keep trusting Him. Um, we know that what we're doing here is so full of meaning. It's so full of purpose. It's so full of life um, that we cannot but do the things that God has called us to do, and so we're, we're excited. We're genuinely excited about what God is doing um, and we believe that He is preparing us for something. We have the sense, we've had it now for about the last three months, where God started to speak to us as a church and as a team to say, we're pre I'm preparing you for something. I'm, I'm equipping you for something. I'm, I'm going I'm to set things up. And we had this distinct feeling that God was saying that we need to dig the trenches. We need to, we need to get in and we need to do the work to prepare the land because God is going to send the rain. And so if you ask our team, we've been going through a succession of steps to prepare our hearts, to prepare ourselves, to prepare our lives, to be able to make a genuine difference in this city, to be able to receive people and love people and help people and restore people and, 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 and see God do what He has ordained sovereignly to do. And so when Simon and I were here in the week, we just, we, we stood by this pillar and we just started to pray. We just prayed for this church and we just said, thank you, Jesus, that you are the owner of all land, that you are the one who is sovereign over all things, that you are the one who determines the boundaries and the times of our lives. And you are the one who is going to handpick the people that you want to, to bring on this journey with us, to see them restored, to see them healed, to see them taken forward and to help us reach a city. And so we are here in an incredible, beautiful place in a beautiful building, but this church is not a building. It's a people. It's a community. It's a, it's, it's a family that God has called us to be a part of. And so I want to share a message with you this morning, um, which is just, I've been overwhelmed by this um, in, in this week, just, just on the kindness of God.
sorry. I don't know I was going to have a cry today. Um, <laughs> just the kindness of God. You know, every night I've just been sitting with my, with my laptop or my phone and I just, just put some worship music in my ears and just over and over again, just the heart of the King that we serve, His faithfulness, His goodness, you know, His, his love for people, for all people. And so when I sat down to, to write the message that I wanted to share with you this morning, I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything else but, but how good God is. And I have these weird moments I sometimes go through. I don't know why I do it, but I've, it's happened to me for years, is that when I'm kind of in the morning waking up, I don't really know if I'm awake or asleep, but as I'm lying there, I just, I just kind of un- subconsciously, it's like I pray, and I just speak, speak to God. It'll just be like a one-line thing, but it's like something that just comes from my heart, like I'm not rationalizing it or thinking it out or, or anything, but I'll just, it's just something that's in me and, and, and that I have, a, is in my heart a desire that I'll, that I'll express to God kind of in that half awake, half, half asleep state. And in this week, I was just lying in bed and I kind of, kind of woke up and, and in that state, I just said, God, all I want to do is, is show people the heart of the Father. I just want to just Whatever you need to do to get me into a position, to get our church into a position, to get us as a team and as a church into a position to show people the heart of the Father, that's what we want to do. And I believe that, that that's a prayer that um, God has laid on, on our heart as a church, and I believe it's something that God is going to do through us. That people are going to think about God in one way. They're going to perceive Him in one way. They're going to perceive religion and, and, and church and, and, and all of this stuff in a certain way. And then they're going to encounter the love of the Father. And it's going to break down every one of those walls. And it's going to open them up to walk in the fullness of everything that God created them for. And we're going we're gonna to come and we're going to see lives changed, not by rules, not by principles, not by good advice, but by an encounter with the living God, a God who loves and cares and who died for us on the cross. And that's what our heart is. That's what our, our church is really about. And so I'm going to share this message with you where Jesus really messes up a church. Have you ever seen Jesus can just mess up a church? Jesus can just bust into a place at times and he can just break down all of your, your religious stereotypes and your things. And there's this place in Scripture where Jesus does this. He busts up a church. Um, and uh, we're going to go to Matthew num- uh, chapter number 21. If you have your Bibles here, Matthew 21 and verse 12 and we're just going to read five verses here, and this is where we're going to be. So I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bibles, and I'm going to encourage you to stay there in Matthew 21, because I'll refer back to a couple of, of, of lines as we go forward. But uh, Matthew 21 and verse 12, it says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. 
I'm going to go ahead and pray for us this morning. I want to share a little bit on this, this moment where Jesus just messes up the temple and uh, gets indignant over a few things. And uh, I want to talk about the kind of church that we want to be and how we want to represent the heart of God uh, and His kindness to, to all people. So let's, let's go ahead and, and pray together and we'll get stuck into that. Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for your kindness. We want to thank you for your sacrifice. We want to thank you for your presence. Your presence is your kindness and it is your grace, God, because we could never deserve, earn, or work for your presence here with us this morning. But we know that because of the great kindness and the great love of God that you came and that you died for us and that you perfected us, Lord God, not by our own works, but by your grace. And so we sit here in your grace this morning. We stand in your grace. We, we operate by your grace. And we thank you that you are speaking to each of us as you lead us forward, knowing you more and more intimately. And we thank you, God, for what you are doing and for what you are about to do. We give you all the glory. Amen. Amen. So um, I don't know if you've ever had this, um, but you know when people pop in to visit, uh, my wife and I, we do love it when people pop over for a visit or when we get to hang out with friends. We love having people in our home, uh, although it can be chaotic. If you've ever had anybody in your, in your house, you'll know how chaotic it is, especially in those moments when people phone you and say, hey, we're around the corner. We thought we would pop in. And you're on the phone and you think to yourself, I mean, while you're on the phone, you're like, yeah, that's awesome. Because nobody ever says, no, please don't come. Um, <laughs> so like, yeah, that's awesome. Like pop over, come and hang out. And then you look around and you realize your house looks like World War Three has just broken out. I mean, there's stuff strewn everywhere. And I don't know if you have done one of those speed cleans of your home before. It's by no means thorough, um, but it's super effective because you just pick up stuff because you were going to sort it out. You were going to put it nicely back. You were going to clean it. Now it's like dirty dishes are like thrown in the cupboard and things are just like, just throw it or just close it up. Just let it look clean at least. And, and uh, for like two months after that, you can't find your stuff. You're still looking two months later. Like, where is that thing? It's like, how did my cell phone get into like the bottom of my shoe rack? I don't even know how that happened. And it was in the midst of that, you know, uh, that, that crazy, chaotic cleanup session that you had. And, and, and people will ring the doorbell. I've had this happen so many times. People will ring the doorbell. They're there. And you're like, how did they get here so quickly? You know, how are they already here? And then you take like three minutes to answer the door. They're like literally standing outside your door for three minutes. And then, I mean, you're just throwing, chucking stuff. And then you open, hey, how's it going? You know, and they walk in and they're like, your house is so clean. Whenever we get, yeah, you know, it's not a problem. You know, as we always keep it nice and neat. We like to live neat lives. And, and, um, and what we often want to do is pretend like our lives are perfect. We want to pretend like everything is always in its place. We want to pretend like everything is always organized and, and neat. And we want to be able to put our best foot forward in every situation. Um, but, but recently I read just such an interesting article uh, about this and about your home and about uh, relationships and specifically about building authentic relationships within your home. And it said that the study said that if your house is too perfect and too neat when you have people over, according to the study, it's increasingly difficult to build authentic relationships. And this is the point where the husbands look over at their wives. See, I told you. I told you. I'm all about relationship, babe. That's what I'm about. But what happens is, is that everything takes on a certain, you know, formality. It becomes so formal when you sit down and, 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 
and everything is all neat and perfect. You feel a bit restricted, like now you need to conform to this perfect place and make sure that you don't knock anything over or you're definitely not going to kick out your shoes or put your feet up or, or, or just hang out or just park off on the couch or, or whatever because everything is, is so formal. And so it's kind of like you feel like this visit has become, you know, 90 minutes that you've booked with a service provider. You're just going to kind of have the visit, say thank you and, and be very polite and then leave. And, uh, and, and this actually affects relationship because relationship, for it to be genuine, needs to be organic. And people need to be able to be themselves. And people need to be able to be honest in those moments. Otherwise, you're not going to really build relationship. And so I want, I want my house to be perfect most of the time. I am a little bit OCD about things. Um, and, uh, and I want things to be right and neat. And, and I, I love that. I, 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 I enjoy it when it's like that. Um, but my wife and I, uh, so our house, when you have kids, any dream of that, just it's gone. You know, you're never going to have it maybe at least for the next 10 or 15 years. So, um, so our house, at, at points, we could keep it really neat. Now that we have three little kids, there's absolutely no way. Um, and so at one point, we, uh, the first time we actually went away for like three days without our kids, we dropped them off at the grandparents' house the day before we left. We came downstairs, and uh, everything was still in its place. There was not, nothing had been spilt on the carpet, which is a daily occurrence. Um, we had, you know, everything was quiet and neat and just pretty the way we left it the night before. And we came downstairs and we were like, we hate this. <laughs> There's no life here. Where are our kids? Where's the one jumping on the couch? And where's the other one like crying about we don't know what? And where's, you know, where, where's the life in this place? And you realize that, that as much as we want to have things perfect in our lives, what's far more valuable than that is actually being on a journey with some other people is actually being honest and, and being, even though it may be chaotic, it may be difficult, it may be, it may be hard at times, uh, there's life in it, there's value in it, there's something worthy in it, there's something that's satisfying in that. And so Benita and I, we have a couple of friendships that are just, it's, it's just like that. It's, it's so real and so authentic that there really isn't any kind of pretense to it anymore, which is just the biggest blessing to us. We've got, uh, I've got a friend, Mark Crossman, who I just visited now in the States. He's over there, um, part of a team that leads a church out in Florida, and I was hanging out with him. But a couple years ago, my, uh, my wife and I, and Eli was a baby, we went to go visit them where they lived in Cape Town, and they had the tiniest little house, and they have three girls. And so we brought our extra boy, but they only have two bedrooms. And so Mark slept on the couch. Um, all the girls were in, with, were in Linda sleeping in her bed. And Benita and I were sleeping in the bunk bed, in their girl bunk beds, but like proper girly bunk beds that were only, you had to sleep in the fetal position um, in order to fit in and not move a lot because you were worried about like crushing your spouse below you. Um, and, uh, and Eli was in like a, a little cot thing, like in the room with us. And it was, it was chaotic. It was crazy, but it was the best four days that we had ever had. It was so much fun at the same time because we were, a, we, we, we were so close that we could just hang out. And, and those are the kinds of relationships that, that are really special to us. We've got another a couple friend of ours who are missionaries. Um, they've been to our church a couple times, uh, Kieran and Jamie. Whenever they come, out, uh, come over, they come with their two kids. There's, it's always like, let's do a breakfast. Okay, we'll do a breakfast. Then it's like, should we go drive somewhere? Then we go drive somewhere. Then it's like, should we go grab lunch? Then we grab lunch. It's like, hey, what are you guys doing this afternoon? Should we go to the zoo? Should we take the kids? Okay, let's go. Then it's like, oh, what are you doing this evening? You guys want to you guys want to go for a movie? And then we go to a movie. And like, they end up hanging out like with us all day. And it's just like, it's just fun. We just want, we just keep suggesting more stuff. 
that we can do together. Um, and even Will and Nangi, um, two, two of our really good friends, Will, you heard from this morning, and, and Nangi's at the cafe back there. But uh, whenever they come out, I often invite them over to my house on a Sunday night, which is a dangerous time to come to my house, specifically because I'm a pastor and I've crashed by that point. So, so like, no more filters. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm like telling jokes I shouldn't be telling and, uh, you know, mocking people I shouldn't be mocking. And like, I don't know, anything can happen on a Sunday night. And, um, They'll be over at my house, and, and we're literally just four of us on the couch with a blanket just watching random TV shows or whatever. And there's something genuine about that. There's something authentic when you can kick your shoes off and be yourself around people. It's a real relationship. There's, when the, a relationship is real, there's wrestling room. When a relationship is real, there's, 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 there's space to forgive. There's space and, and there's grace to be able to journey together with one another, and, and it's robust because it's real. It's not like one word or one argument or, or, or one disappointment is going to cause that relationship to break down. You can get through stuff. You can talk through things, and you can work through things together, and the relationship endures because it's real. Real relationships are robust. And as a church, the moment we become a perfect church— we're most likely no longer an authentic one. The moment we're the perfect church that does everything perfectly. Now, we strive for excellence because we believe that excellence creates comfort. We believe that excellence, uh, it, it, it honors God and, uh, and, 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 or, or, or it honors man and it glorifies God. We want to honor the people that come here. We want you to have a great experience on a Sunday. But we are going to slip up at times because we're people and we're imperfect people. And our hope is that we can be imperfect people together serving a perfect God, worshiping a perfect God. Real churches are made up of, of real people who are really imperfect, and we've got to make allowances for one another. So many people offended by the church, and what, what they mean when they say that is they've been offended by people in the church. And if you've been in a family, you've all been in family. Family offends from time to time, Right? People are insensitive at times. People go through stuff. People face difficult things, and they would say things that, that you didn't want to hear. But family sticks together as well. Family sticks together because at the end of the day, we love each other, and we believe in each other. We believe in what God is doing. And so as a church, we always want to be growing. We always want to be moving forward. Even though we'll make mistakes, we want to keep pressing on, and this is a, a journey. It's an evolving story of what God is doing. Now, I mention all of this today to, to tell you that this is what our relationship with God is like. What is the relationship with God like? God is perfect. He is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly true. And so many times we feel like when we relate to God, we've also got to be perfectly uh, together to be able to have a relationship with Him because He is so perfect. Now we're coming in and we feel like it's this formal setup that we step into and it's like, oh my goodness, it's, we're talking about God here. We're talking about the creator of heaven and earth who's never made a mistake. Not once has He said a wrong word. Not once has He done anything wrong. Um, not once has He overstepped any boundaries. Not once has He, has, has he betrayed who He is. How are we as imperfect people going to relate to a God so perfect? How are we going to have an authentic relationship where we can make mistakes and where we can be on a journey and when we can be, be honest? And this is where the kindness of God comes in. The Bible says that in Christ, God no longer 
in Christ holds us accountable to our sins because He has already held Jesus accountable. Jesus has already paid the price, and so He has lavished His grace upon us. That, that idea there is that it's far more grace than what we even need. He's lavished that grace upon us so that by His kindness and through His grace, we relate to Him. We don't have to be perfect to relate to God. We just need to receive His grace. And in that, we get to have a relationship with our Father. And there's a process, there's a journey that God takes us on. Our relationship with God is, is a journey, not just a destination. When Jesus steps into our lives, He steps into all of our mess. He steps into your life as it is right now, in this moment. It's like Jesus calls you on the phone. And He's like, hey, I'm in the area. I just want to find out if I can pop in. If we could just hang out. And we're like, okay, okay, Jesus, I got it, I got it. I want to hang out with you. Let's do it. 9 a.m. Sunday morning, Langham's Estate. Come on, love that venue. Going to be there. Um, um, let's do it Sunday morning, Jesus. I will dress. You're your Sunday best, right? You're going to put on your Sunday best. You're going to put on all of your makeup. Make sure you're looking just fine. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then arrive and go, okay, Jesus, I'm ready. We can have a relationship for the next hour and a half or whatever it is. And Jesus is like, uh, nope, I'm actually already at your door. And you're like, What? How are you at my door? My house is a mess. My life is a mess. Things are scattered all over the floor. Things are falling off of the walls. I haven't fixed light bulbs in months. I mean, this place is a mess. I've got, it's just, I don't even know where anything is. I look horrible. There's no ways, Jesus, that, that you can come into my life right now. And Jesus is like, I know all about it. I just want to hang out. I just want to build an authentic relationship with you where you're not putting on your Sunday best before you approach me, but where you're just being yourself so that I can just show you myself. Jesus is at his best when we're at our worst. If you really want to know the grace and the kindness of God, show him all the mess that you have, and you'll see just how kind he is. You'll see just how gracious he is. You'll see just how loving he is. Jesus says, I'm, I'm already at the door. He wants us to invite Him in to our real lives. Into our real lives. Real relationship. This is how this Scripture, and you might be wondering, how is the Scripture about Jesus messing up the temple relates to the kindness of God? But think about that. People are paying those, those uh, pigeons and, and things that they were paying for and changing money for was in order so that they could buy certain animals and things that they needed for the sacrifices in the temple. They had to pay and perform to be made right with God. And Jesus comes and he messes the whole thing up. He's like, I don't want your religious service anymore. I don't want your lip service. I don't want uh, lips that praise me and hearts that are far from me. I want you. I want your real life. And he just messes the place up. Jesus is like, if you think that your house is clean, that's like Jesus walking into your house. You've just cleaned everything because you want him to be impressed. And he comes and messes it all up. And he goes, can we have a real relationship now? Can we hang out now? Can I just get to know you now? Can you just get to know me now? Can we just put away the pretense and do something authentic and something real? Listen to this scripture in Titus 3 verse 4. It says, but when the kindness of, our, of God our Savior, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. 
not on the basis of deeds, sacrifices, religious duties, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. When the kindness of God shows up in the temple, it wrecks the whole temple and says, I'm saving you now on the basis of my mercy, no longer on the basis of your righteous acts and sacrifices. That is the kindness of God. The relationship that we have is only due to the kindness of God. It's only because of the grace of God in our lives. So Jesus fought for us to have this kind of access. He wanted us to to not have to pay any longer to be able to get to God. He didn't want our relationship with Him to be a formal transaction because that's not the heart of God. And so here at Anchor Church, we want, and I'm telling you this now, I I am challenging every single person to at least twice a year, but here in these early days, it should be way more than that, to have a person who is completely unchurched, has never been to church or or, or de-churched, is angry with the church, to have somebody who does not believe in Jesus or His goodness or God's kindness to be sitting next to you in the chair. Because we are here to share with this city the kindness of God. Not another system by which they offer sacrifices. It's the kindness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repent. And so that's our message. That's what we share. We make a mess of of formal religion and we say, just come in and be yourself. Because Jesus says this to them. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. What he says is that all nations are included in this. All people are included, no matter, no, no, regardless of their background, regardless of where they come from, all nations are included. And my house is a house of prayer. What is prayer? It's connecting with God. It's declaring our dependence upon God. It's communication with God. It's fellowship with God. It's relationship with God. Jesus messes up the temple. See this picture? He runs in. He messes up the temple. He goes, this is a place of connecting with God. All of these formal things are keeping people from him. I've come to mess it up because I'm saying this is a new day. The covenant is now in my blood. And because of that, by the grace of God, all nations shall connect with the Father. They'll know his heart. They'll know his love. This is a place of prayer for all nations, and everybody is welcome. And then it says that they bring the blind and the lame, and they came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The blind and the lame were probably hidden away somewhere. You know, if, if, you've got, if you've got like broken stuff in your house, you hide it away if, if, if people come over. And in our own lives, we hide broken things away from each other and from God oftentimes. Like, I don't want anybody to know about that. We hide broken things. And with these people, these, these, these blind and the, and the lame, where were they? They were probably on the outskirts begging somewhere or, or lying down somewhere just out of sight so that everything looks right. Jesus steps up, and these blind, these lame people, these broken people, they take, they take center stage. And Jesus begins restoring lives. You see, when we are free to be broken before God and before one another, God can bring the healing that we seek. God can begin to do miraculous things of restoration. But if we're always pretending to be perfect, we're not allowing each other or Jesus into those spaces for healing to occur. But God is passionate about your restoration. He is passionate about restoring and redeeming your life and your family and your relationships and every part of you. 
So they bring the broken, they bring the, the blind, they bring the lame. There's something so beautiful in that. I was uh, reading again. I remember re- uh, hearing about this um, story when I was uh, in youth, uh, when I was still attending youth as a teenager. Uh, the, our youth pastor got up one, one Sunday and, uh, and started uh, preaching about Mephibosheth, uh, who is in the Old Testament, who uh, was the, the grandson of, of Saul, the first king, Mephibosheth, and, um, and how he uh, was um, obviously the, part of the household of the king, but when the news came, out, came uh, through that Saul had been killed and that Jonathan, his father, who was a great friend of David, King David, who became king after Saul, uh, where he had died, where they had died, um, all of a sudden there was pandemonium, there was panic. Because if you are the household of a king that has just died and there's going to be a regime change, oftentimes the new king would take out anybody loyal to the old king, including servants and family members and anybody who could rise up against them in the future. And so um, the, the servants, uh, the specific servant that looked after uh, uh, Jonathan's son, five-year-old son at the time, Mephibosheth, um, he, he, she picks him up and, and, and runs and in her haste she drops him. And it tells us about this in, in uh, 2 Samuel 4. And and verse 4, it says, Now Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son with crippled feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but in her haste to escape, he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So in this haste, she drops him and obviously broke some part of his back or, or broke something and and, 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 and he becomes crippled from the waist down. And so King David comes into power. Now, King David is a very clear type or prophetic image or illustration or foreshadowing of Jesus himself. Jesus himself is in the lineage of King David. And so he was a forerunner to show us the kind of king that, that God was going to send us in Jesus and so David in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, so you might notice there's about five chapters that have passed there. And in that time, David essentially overcomes all of the enemies of Israel. And now there's no more war, there's peace in the land. And, and in, in chapter 9, it says, And the king said, David said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? A son as a part of the previous king's lineage, would have been perceived as a threat and an enemy to David. And he goes, is there not someone left in the house of Saul so that I can show the kindness of God? This is a type of Jesus. Are there there any enemies of God here so that I can show them how kind God is? How kind God is. Verse 6 says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. He's just worried about what's going to happen. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I love that he's worried about, as an enemy, what David's going to do to him. And he says, Don't fear. He, 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 what, what Mephibosheth wants to offer David is service. 
Can I offer you service, please? Like, if it'll, if, it, if it'll appease you, I will serve you, and then you don't need to kill me. I'm, I'm your servant. And he goes, don't fear. Don't worry about that. Don't fear. I don't want you to just be a servant. I want something far greater for you. I'm going to show you kindness, the kindness of God. He says, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. Restoration. Restoration. We're, we're crippled. We're enemies of God. He goes, come, I want to show you the kindness of God. I'm restoring everything in your life. And you shall eat at my table always. You shall eat at my table always. David assigns an entire family with all of their servants, 15 sons and 20 servants, to just look after this one guy, to work his lands for him. He's got, he's got free labor. I mean, everything's being done for him, all that he needs to do. The work is being done for him. And the Bible tells us that for the rest of his life, every day, he ate at the table of the king. And that's a picture of the gospel. That's a picture of our lives. We come with our crippleness, our brokenness. Our, at one point, Mephibosheth says to David, why would you do this? Why would you even look at me? I am a dead dog. There's nothing in me that I can give you. No, it's the kindness of God that I'm showing you. Total restoration and come and eat at my table. Come and eat at my table. That's the invitation that we've been given, to eat at the table of God. In fact, in Revelations 3 verse 20, listen to this. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him, into him, and eat with him, and he with me. He stands at the door and he knocks, and we go, No, 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 Jesus, my life's a mess, my life's a mess. He goes, No, I'm already at the door. Open up. Let's eat together. It's a, this is a scripture. <laughs> it's so clear that the relationship with what God wants with us is not a formal religious relationship, but a genuine, intimate knowing of one another. And so Paul says, this is, my, this is what my whole life is about. All I want to be is more intimately acquainted with the wonders of his person. I just want to know him deeper and better and more. And we want to represent Jesus and the kindness of God to people so that they would be inspired to know Him more. We want people to encounter His love, to find their home in His presence, and to experience His goodness. And that's why He calls us as the church to, to show love and the loving kindness of God to others. I want to tell you a quick testimony, something that happened to me this week. Um, and it's going to sound strange at first, but it gets real good at the end. Um, but uh, when I was in New York, I went to this place that sells like discount clothes, which is awesome. Um, it's called TJ Maxx. And I went there and I found this pair of pants. Um, it's not normally the kind of style that I wear, but for some reason, I just love them, and they fit perfectly, and I was like, I, I love these pants. And so I was like, should I buy two? It was only like $16 or whatever. Should I buy two? And then I was like, you know what? No, let's be responsible. Let's take one pair of pants only. You don't need two. Um, and so I came home, and then when I came home and I wore them, I loved them so much, I wanted another pair, okay? I told you it was going to start weird. But um, so I I sent my sister a message and I said, I really want another pair of those pants. Can you, do you have any friends coming over um, that could possibly bring them for me? Because she's an actress in New York and she's got some actress friends from here that sometimes travel across. And 
she said, yes, I've got a friend actually leaving on Monday. She got the pants for me, sends them home um, with, this, with, with her friend. And so she's been here now for the last two or three weeks, but I just have been so busy. I haven't been able to meet up with her to be able to find the pants or get the pants from her. And so, um, and so she's going back to New York. Her flight leaves tomorrow. And so on Thursday, or Thursday or Friday, I think it was Friday actually, could have been one of those two days. I don't know. It was all a blur to me. But um, I basically, I phoned her and I said, okay, I'm coming over. I'm getting the pants because I don't know if I'm going to have another opportunity. So I got in my car, drove out to where her, her mom's house is. And um, she opens up the door and she says, she can't find the pants. She doesn't, she doesn't know where they are. I'm like, you're kidding me. I mean, this thing has traveled across the world. And, um, and so she says, can you just sit down? I'm going to phone my mom. Somebody moved it. I'm going to figure it out. So I'm sitting there waiting. She's phoning her mom, looking for the pants. And um, eventually her mom says, no, you, you have to ask the domestic worker. So she's waiting for her number. So, so in with the waiting for the number, she sits down on the other couch. And you can see that she's stressed out, not about the pants, <laughs> but, but because um, she hadn't been able to get her visa. Her flight leaves Monday. It was Thursday or Friday. And in, for the last few weeks, the U.S. Embassy has told her that they cannot find her on the system. Somehow her name has gone off the system. She has an apartment in New York that she has to pay rent for, and she needs to get back there to be able to work. And she's put so much time and effort into getting her, her visa, and if she doesn't get it, you know, she doesn't know what she's going to do. And so she shares that, and then uh, she gets the phone call. She finds the pants, and so I'm leaving. And as I'm leaving, I just feel like I should pray for her. So I put my hand on her shoulder, and... I just say, Jesus, I just thank you for everything that you have put in this girl's life. I thank you for the gifts you've given her, the purpose that you have for her, the plans that you have for her, um, and, and that you love her, Jesus. And I, and I start to pray, and, and without thinking about it, I say something that when I got into car, I thought to myself, that was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. Because I said, God, I pray that today, not only will they find her on the system, but they will approve her visa, and she will be able to go and fetch her t- today. And I say that... And I get into the car, and I, and I drive away, and I actually pray a little bit more. I'm like, Jesus, please, <laughs> show her who you are. Show her your kindness. And uh, can, I grab my, can I grab my phone here? I want to just uh, read you the text I got. Maybe about, um, maybe about two hours later, I was sitting in, uh, in actually a meeting with the guys here at Langham's, and um, I saw this message come through from her, and I just want to read it to you. Um, so she just sent this, me this message. She says, Adrian, exclamation mark, God must really be hearing your prayers. They found my petition on the system and my visa is ready for collection. Another miracle. Thank you so much. Lots of exclamation marks. And uh, all I replied was, he must love you, I guess. Um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that God wants to use us to extend his heart, his kindness, his grace, his, his, his concern to all people. He wants people to know his goodness. Our battle here in the city is not against flesh and blood. We are not against people. We are not against the city. We are for people. We are for the city. We want to show people the kindness of God and the love of God because it's through that that people come to know him and come to trust in him. The sinners, by the way, in all of these stories about Jesus were the ones always flocking around him. It's the religious people that were indignant, just like we saw in this. They're so mad because, because people are running to Jesus. 
sinners are coming to him. He's healing the lame. He's, it says, when they saw the wondrous things, they were mad. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't that incredible? Religious people will get mad when God truly works and truly does gracious things because it doesn't fit their self-righteous paradigm. So here's what I'm encouraging us to do as a church. I want us to be able to keep ourselves from pretending like we have it all sorted out in our own personal lives. And yes, we do that with, within reason. If you're visiting, please don't feel like we're saying that we want you to come and tell us all of your deepest, darkest secrets. There's an organic growth to this whole journey. But what we're saying is, is that even if those things became apparent in your life, we're not excluding you or you're not excluded because of it. You're included here because you're included in the journey that Jesus has for you and and by His grace, you've been redeemed from all things. So we want to essentially narrow the gap, the disconnect from the people we pretend to be and the people that we really are. You know that there's a gap between who we project to be and who we really are. You know what, what the problem is with that projection? It's like a hologram. A hologram cannot feel anything. A hologram is just an image. It cannot interact. It cannot, it cannot love. It cannot hug. It cannot cry. It's just an image. The more we bring that hologram, that projected image, and we reconcile it with who we truly are, the more present we will be in every situation. The more able we will be to love and to do the things that the Bible says that we're called to do, to laugh with those who laugh, to, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to, to, to mourn with those who mourn. We're actually there, present with them in the moment. And that's what Jesus does. He's present with us. That's, that's, that's what He was promised to be, God with us. Regardless of what you're going through, He's present there with you. And so, not only will we be more authentic, more present, but we'll be happier. <laughs> we'll be happier. We'll enjoy life more. That's where a real relationship with Jesus starts, when we go, hey, Jesus, my life's a mess. I don't have it figured out. I don't have all my ducks in a row. I don't have everything perfectly together. But please step into this mess and help me figure it out. Please step into the situation and, and speak to me. I believe that God wants us to live authentic lives and, and, and to have an authentic faith. What Jesus did for us on the cross was to justify us and make us right with God so that we don't have to be dishonest anymore. We don't have to hide anything anymore before God. We can be totally honest with Him about what we go through because He has eternally settled our worth and our significance regardless of what we have done. And He has brought us into a life filled with purpose, a life filled with meaning. So we fix our eyes on Him and we do the things that He's called us to do. We walk the road that He's called us to walk. We get to be a part of what He is doing. Even here in this beautiful venue, in this amazing building, what Jesus is inviting you to is not a building, but to become a part of what He is building. It's not just that we, we use this because we want shelter, and we want space for our kids to not be able to get lost, but it's not about a building, it's about what Jesus is building. It's about what He wants to build in your life. It's what He wants to build through this community. What is Jesus still going to do through this church? How many lives can we look forward to seeing and hearing the testimonies about?
how many things, how many miracles will we still see as Jesus comes in and messes up all of our formal religious ideas and says, this is a house of prayer for all nations. Bring the lame, bring the blind, let me pray for them. I believe that God wants us to sit with him at his table and to allow him to activate every bit of God-given potential that he's put on the inside of us. The final thing that this uh, passage of Scripture that I read says, if you're still there in Matthew 21, that final verse says, And leaving them, he went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. He went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. Now, Bethany was about, it was a couple of kilometers, maybe, uh, I think it was about 60 kilometers from, maybe less, from Jerusalem itself. It was a little village. And in that village was three of Jesus' closest friends, um, Lazarus and his sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. And so even when Jesus went to go and, and, and minister in Jerusalem and in the temple, when he came to Jerusalem for the various feasts throughout the year, he didn't stay in a hotel. He didn't stay in a royal suite. He w- didn't like sleep in the synagogue. He stayed with friends. He went right there into their mess where they're serving and cleaning and, 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 and just being themselves. And Jesus lodged there. He lived with friends. He lived with people. And I believe that that's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. That's the kindness of God, that He doesn't just meet you here on a Sunday morning or at Connect Group in the week or whenever you listen to worship music. But the moment you leave these doors and you drive off of these grounds, Jesus is with you in your car. Jesus is with you at your, at your workplace. Jesus is with you at your school. Jesus is, is, is with you in, in any environment that you're at. When you're with your family, wherever you're at, Jesus stays with us. He lodges with us. We have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And together as the church, the Bible says he is building us into a spiritual house. A spiritual house. So this is the kindness of God. This is the kindness of God. We can let him in. Because he's good, and he's gracious, and he's true, and he genuinely cares about your life. Every bit of it, he is present. Isn't that incredible? Isn't it amazing, this God that we serve? Come on, I want to I pray for us this morning, and uh, let's, let's just go ahead and, and thank Jesus right now.